This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Ten years in the NFL for him. I was a reporter for five. Now host the daily talk show that you can check out on the Team 980 each and every day. All right, Logan. Uh, by the way, how many playoff games did you play in in your career? Just one. Just one. Have I ever told you? Uh, yeah, twenty twelve. Did I ever tell you this story? This is a kind of interesting story. I know we're, this is immediately off topic, but it's all right. Um, no, I mean the playoffs. It, it's the off season now. What is the topic? <laughs> so um, I think I think I've said this story before, but I think it's really really cool. So like when I was a rookie, Mike Shanahan came in and had everybody in there, all ninety guys plus. 25 coaches and then there was like 10 or 15 staff trainers strength coaches like you know administrative people are in there the gms in there and he says hey you know how many guys have you know had been part of a winning season and you know everyone you know half the room puts their hand up he says okay how many guys have been to a playoff game you know of that half people put their hand down and he goes okay um how many have won a playoff game and then it's even less how many have won a divisional game less and it's like, how many have been to a Super Bowl? And I swear there's, you know, hundreds of years of coaching experience in this room. And there's like four dudes with their hands up. And he says, all right, how many people have won a Super Bowl? And it's like, he puts his hand, everyone put, he has his hand up the whole time, obviously, because he won a Super Bowl. And then it's like him and Fletch with their hand up at the very end. And I like, and that, it always like, because you're like, oh man, I played 10 years. I should have been in a playoff game. But it just shows you like how hard it is to, to yeah. get there like there were coaches who'd been coaching for 30 years who'd never been in a playoff game and that is just like mind-boggling to me how hard it is and how fans are so you know like playoffs are bust but it's hard it's hard to win games like that it's hard to get there so um just little tangent there but i love that story i know i've said it before but well it's it's actually it is on topic because it's a great setup to remind people how freaking good the Chiefs are. Oh. They've now won two of the last four Super Bowls. Uh, they've played in three of the last four. And they win again uh, behind an all-time second-half performance. And, you know, we can we can talk about the the holding call, which James Bradbury himself said was a correct call. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it probably was. It was enhanced. And cer- certainly what the referees saw was enhanced by one of the worst fields we've ever seen, if not mm-hmm. the worst field that we've ever seen, because... Uh, the receiver uh, kind of loses his his footing a little bit, but at the end of the day, they didn't they didn't cost the Eagles the game. What cost the Eagles the game is the Chiefs are great, mm-hmm. and they showed it in the second half. And lo and behold, Logan, it's it's relevant to Washington and, and a Commanders podcast because the guy who orchestrated it uh, from the sideline was Eric Bieniemy, who yeah. they are hoping to interview for their head or sorry their offensive coordinator position this week what did you see in that second half in terms of adjustments that that chiefs made and look you know they have mahomes and kelsey and great receivers and andy reed obviously is one of the great offensive minds in the history of the league um but andy was quick to to credit eb um and, and certainly it is a a conglomerate effort so what what were the changes that bien and that staff made to 
turn things around and make them basically unstoppable in the second half. Yeah, I don't know if there was any like I, I just like the general game plan. I mean, everyone's talking about the Philadelphia defensive line, how they're going to come in and wreck the game, and you, you you see them kind of the Kansas City Chiefs approach with a conservative air about them. That you know they run the football a little bit more, short intermediate passes. They're very reluctant to put the push the ball down the field. When they do push the ball down the field, it's off of play action. They get to that screen game, which we thought, which you could tell Philly was ready for. But I just love the chess match. And the other thing I loved is like on the two touchdowns, the one to Kadarius Tony, the one to Sky Moore, you could tell they had an understanding of some of the philosophy and defensive limitations of that philosophy in the red zone, specifically within the 10 yard line. Like he, he understands that, or whoever is calling that read the enemy, who's ever designing that, that, you know, when we short motion, this receiver, we've had this high tendency to be running across the formation. Let's run a little snag return. They, they botched the pass off twice in a row, kind of on subsequent series. And I just think like that is, um, that, that's awesome. That's awesome game planning. That's awesome coaching. And it's something it's interesting. The other thing that's really interesting about it is you see kind of in high definition what Scott Turner's offense was supposed to look like because they ran concepts like this. They ran plays like this, but you also see kind of the little nuanced, detailed coaching, like the positions of the receivers, the tempo, the energy with which they run stuff. Um, and I think that offense is sick, but also like I think it's when you look at that offense, you say, man, that offensive line is a top five offensive line. They've got enough skill position players, and they've probably got the best quarterback in the NFL. So um, as much as you want to say game plan's a big feature of it, and it is, it, it absolutely is, like they've got the horses to make that thing go. Yeah, it's a good game plan that's elevated by supreme talent, but it's also elevated by another element of coaching, and that is teaching. They yeah. are so fine and precise in their executions. And frankly, both of these teams are. I mean, what, what can you say about the Eagles, man? Like someone had to lose that game because it's the Super Bowl and they can't end it in a tie. And 38-35, like the Eagles played an incredible game all around. Both teams hit. I mean, both defenses, it's not like they played poorly, even though they gave up a ton of points. Like these teams were fast. They were physical. They hit. They, they made solid tackles. Like just, you have great players that are well coached and that's hard to defend when you, you have that level of precise execution and you have two coaches in Steichen and Bienemy, and obviously with help from Sirianni and Reed and the rest of their excellent staffs that really put defenses in a bind. And like you can fly to the ball, but you're flying to an open guy because no. you got two guys you got to decide, and there's no right answer. Because if you pick player A, they're going to throw it to player B. You pick player B, the quarterbacks are good enough to see that and throw to player A. Like they just they just do a good job with that stuff. And I think you can see, especially in the red zone, um, Reed said after the game those two touchdowns on the short motions were two different plays, but yeah. same route um, and same concept, right? Like not concept in terms of like past concept, but same concept in terms of we have this tendency. Defense, yeah. yeah, we're we know that they're gonna try to do this one thing, play it a certain way, and we can manipulate that. Um, but it's also like here, here's the thing that I really appreciated about this Logan and what makes a guy like the enemy, you know, assuming that he plays a big part in this, which certainly he does. He's the offensive Seems coordinator. So mm -hmm. um, you know, it makes him so appealing in, in Washington, the Kadarius Tony version of that play, the first one that they run, mm -hmm. there aren't 10 guys in the league who can make that cut like that. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, everyone can make it, but with the clean, like in out agility, the pace at which it happens, the crispness of that cut at the speed that he runs, there aren't 10 guys in league. Like, that's a Tyreek Hill. That's a Kadarius Toney. Like, that's a maybe a Curtis Samuel. Like, that is yeah. a really, really high-level athletic maneuver. Mm -hmm. And to leverage <clears throat> that skill set in that spot shows an understanding of how to use your guys at precise moments to do maximum damage. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, that skill set was so lacking in Washington last year where it's like how... Like, why are we, why are we doing that thing with that guy? Why can't you mm -hmm. just try to get the ball to certain players in certain situations more often? And, you know, oh, it's not part of the offense. We'll make it a part of the offense. It, it, you got to be able other teams do it. You got to be able to figure out how to get it into your offense. And I think that that skill set of maximizing the player's talents 
on the field. And by the way, that includes the most talented quarterback to ever play mm-hmm. uh, is, is an incredibly appealing thing to have as your offensive coordinator. And thus why I think most commanders fans are probably licking their chops this morning, assuming that uh, we get news and, and who knows we're recording this Monday morning. By the time this comes out, there might be an interview schedule with Eric Bianami. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely going to be an interview schedule, but uh, my question that I've been kicking around is like, does, do you leave KC, you know, if you're him, like, and I understand like it's, it's, there are advantages to leaving, right. You get kind of out of under, underneath uh, Andy Reid's shadow and all of this speculation that he's really the driving force behind everything. Um, But I also think you see, you know, we were talking about this before you see the value Andy Reid places on Eric Bieniemy by the way he talks about him after the game you see, you know, during, you know, after that holding call, Mahomes is running to be enemy. He's not running to Andy Reid for the consultation about what the next couple plays are going to look like. So if you're him, do you say, man, I want to go build my own thing in Washington? Or are you kind of saying, man, I could be a part of the greatest dynasty ever in the history of the NFL? And I don't know. I think they're going to make it very, very tough for him to leave. I know one of the reasons that he's even considering interviewing here is because of the Andy Reid relationship with Ron probably. But man, like he has everything you want there. You have the best quarterback in the NFL. Like as much as you want to say, he's a smart dude, he's going to be able to come here. One of the things that coaching at the high school level has shown me is at some point you need players, you need guys to make plays for you. And, um, and do we have enough of an, uh, uh, you know, is there enough of a draw here? Obviously from a skill position standpoint, receiver, running back, tight end, right? There's some very, very, interesting pieces but is sam howell a guy that draws you in um i don't know it'll be really interesting to see how this interview process goes for him but you know i think after watching it because you don't watch a lot of film at kansas city but watching the you know all 22 or watching the tv copy you see how involved he is he's got his own sheet he's he's obviously calling plays or he's making recommendations um I, i love the patrick mahomes thing like that that's who he's talking to in between series so um it would be exciting to get him here for sure of, of the candidates that they've interviewed. Um, but I just don't know if this is, um, this is an opportunity that's super appealing, like, you know, when compared to Kansas city, let me just, well, say. the other comparison though, Logan is Baltimore, um, because there's, yeah. there's two questions, stay or go, right? It's like a flow chart, stay or yeah. go. All right. Here's, here's the benefits of staying. Here's, here's mm-hmm. going. I can be an OC. I can be a play caller. I want to be a head coach in the future. Um, it seems like I'm not going to get that opportunity as long as I'm under Andy's shadow. Can I go somewhere and build my own thing, have a little more autonomy, mm-hmm. uh, maybe get a pay bump because I'm a play caller, uh, whatever. And, they, and, and it does seem like Andy almost like the praise is like they would love to have him, obviously, but I do feel like the praise is on some level like, hey, someone hire this guy. Yeah. yeah um, I so, so I think there's that. So the stay or go flow chart is, is one element of it. If he stays, then that's the end of the flow chart. He stays. If he goes, then it's where does he go? And the two places that are after him are here in Baltimore. And if you're comparing situations, they're kind of polar opposites, you know, because DC, you have tons of skill position, very little or very little proven at quarterback. That way the the Sam Howell hive doesn't get on me here. Uh, Sam could be great, but he hasn't, he's thrown 19 NFL passes. In Baltimore, the skill position uh, is is not want to say bare, but it's slim. Like Devin Duvernay and Mark Andrews are are not it's very really, specific. Not really getting you super excited. Um, and maybe Andrews is, but uh, respect to your tight end brethren. But yeah, there's not a lot there. The running back position is like solid, but not amazing. Dobbins is a very good back, um, but you have Lamar Jackson, and so. Mm-hmm. As a guy who's like built obviously around an incredibly unique skill set in Mahomes, what could you do with Lamar Jackson? I think I think that's probably very appealing, um, and it also comes under a non-offensive head coach. Uh, you know, Harbaugh is a special teams guy, uh, or was a special teams guy in his previous life, uh, so he doesn't necessarily have as big of an impact as Andy does, obviously, and that's something that Bienemy is said to have wanted is to be under a defensive head coach or at least a non-offensive head coach. And so obviously he's got that in DC, but the the skill position versus quarterback situation, uh, which are the 
probably the two most important things you consider with an offense. Well, then I'll ask you this too, though, because um, you know that that Baltimore O-line pretty well. Like, would you rather have kind of the blank slate to build that you have here uh, mm-hmm. with lots of money and a guarantee that that's a place that they're going to invest? Or would you rather have what they've got in Baltimore? And, and you can obviously uh, let us know what they have in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, I think Baltimore is a really interesting situation. Obviously, they've got Ronnie Stanley, who's one of the best left tackles in football when healthy, kind of neg- negotiating that ankle injury the past three seasons. But, you know, this year when he did play, played very well. Powers is a free agent, the left guard. Um, obviously, they drafted uh, Linderbaum in the first round at center. Um, and then, you know, Morgan Moses is their right tackle, and he played really, really well this year. So that group is very, very talented. Um I don't know. They're definitely not top five, but maybe a top 10 group kind of. And uh, when compared to Washington, you say um, Washington's got a little ways to go. I will say that group is older, right? So you kind of say to yourself, like, you know, how long can they keep the band together there? They do have some young, you know, they they drafted the kid from Minnesota, Daniel Falele, who will probably be the heir apparent at right tackle at some point. Uh, so they got some pieces that get you excited. They'll probably they, they draft an alignment every year. They're going to draft another alignment this year. That's a priority for them. They have a really good defense. And so for me, in terms of rosters and where you're at, like they're they're a receiver away, you know. And I, I think that even even when you look at the enemy and what he's done with Andy Reid and what Andy Reid did with like Alex Smith, for example, where they were like a 13 personnel. 21 22 personnel team they didn't really rely on the receivers that much um and they were able to make that offense cook in a really dramatic way obviously they you know alex smith is more of a, of a facilitator than patrick mahomes but i do think that that's something that he has experience with and he's done so you kind of say to yourself like which you know they have to the thing this is i want to bring this up because i wanted to bring this up for a couple couple weeks now is as much as we want to say there's good offensive line talent in this draft and you could easily get, you know, two, three starters in the draft because that's the kind of offensive line pool they have this year, especially in the first three rounds, offensive linemen take like a year or two to develop. So are you going to be willing to kind of ride that out? I think you do have <clears throat> you do have better job security in Baltimore comparing the two jobs, but offensive line's got to develop. That takes a little bit of time receivers tend to hit the ground running really, really nicely. So I think that that's another thing that I would say the job security is better. You have a quarterback, which is like a huge thing, right? And then, you know, you're, you're relying on a piece to develop that traditionally has developed very quickly. So um, if I'm an offensive quarter, I'm probably taking the Baltimore job, but I do think it's important to note that they haven't resigned Lamar Jackson yet. So I'm going to wait till that happens if, if that's if that's what's on the table. Right. I, I mean, I do think, too, that um, if you're Bietemi, are you thinking about upper mobility as well? And this is something I've said about this job the whole time. There, you can look at the one year for Rivera in a couple of different ways. But one of them is definitively if a new owner comes in and likes you better than him, they could just bump you up. Like if you go seven and nine, but the offense has a good year and shows promise – and the defense has an off year, or, you know, Rivera makes some bad coaching decisions and time management or whatever that cost you games and the owners like, and or a new executive vice president of football operations who's brought in over Rivera's head uh, is like, hey, that, that head coach is a problem, but this enemy guy, he's great. You have to wonder if that's potentially appealing too. Um, and I don't. I, I know that that sounds off and untoward, and it's uncomfortable. But like, realistically, I think it's a possibility. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just, I just would say, is there a precedent for that? Like, I mean, you know, anytime this happens, they tend to just hire outside. Everyone gets fired. They tend to hire outside. So that would be kind of my thought. I mean, on that. sometimes, sometimes uh, head coaches get fired, and you know the interim guy winds up getting the job. Obviously it didn't happen the last couple of years with some guys that maybe should have and and mm-hmm. Steve Wilkes and uh, Rich Basaccia, but a new ownership group is, you know, kind of a different wild card mm-hmm. uh, in this situation where it's like, and the is a known name, right? Like the mm-hmm. like would he be handed the job? No, but would I expect him to be in the mix potentially. Um, and certainly I would expect him I mean, I guess Del Rio could would be named, you know, but who knows? Maybe, maybe if, if Ron would even get let go, because let let me just not beat around it. Like, 
this is exactly what happened in um in Carolina with Ron. Like Ron yeah. mid year, his first year under the new owner, or second year, uh sorry, it was the second year, but it could happen mid year, gets let go. And someone's got to step up in the interim. And while JDR would seem as a former head coach, like someone that that could certainly do that, maybe that's the chance for Bienemy to to get up in front of the room and show what he's got. And that's a bit of an audition. So I don't know that Eric would be thinking about that on the front end, but I, I think it should be mentioned in the realm of possibility. You know, so this is what I would say. I think that's a really interesting approach. But if I'm looking to be a head coach at some point, I don't want to go to a place where – I don't want to go to a place to be an interim head coach. And the reason I don't want to do that is because Ron's culture has been established. It's not my culture. It's not mm. my leadership style. It's Ron's leadership style or whoever the head coach is, you know, Ron in this example. So if I'm the enemy, I'm saying, I'm going to go to Baltimore for a year. We're going to get that offense cooking. And then the second this job opens up, if it does open up, I get to interview as a fresh candidate. So I can kind of lay my film down with a team that has a, that is, I think is closer than Washington, right? Obviously they were a playoff team or a borderline playoff team. I forget what it was. Yeah, this they year. made it. And then, um, so I, I get a better roster. They have a better offensive line, they have a better quarterback, better defense. I can make that thing turn around. Every, everyone in Baltimore is going to be singing my praises because we're going to throw the ball more than five times a game. I'm going to come in here and interview for this position. I'm going to crush it. And then it's my deal. As opposed to dealing with all of the kind of baggage of being in, an interim head coach, like I'm just going to skip that whole process. That's if I was the coach. Now, I'm sure there's a world where the enemy or any a number of offensive coordinators are like, oh, this is a path for me to kind of fast track this. I don't know if I would see it that way, uh, but that's just my perspective. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening or watching right now to get each and every episode as soon as it's available. And Logan, you know, talking about the choices that that coaches have, like the enemy of whether they come here, whether they go to Baltimore, you know, and the ownership situation lingering over all of that. It seems like some ownership groups have certainly started to make potential moves for the future, even though they don't have the team yet. Sean Payton was on Adam Shine's show on Mad Dog Radio on Sirius XM and had some really interesting comments about being uh, approached by potential ownership groups. Was there ever a thought about going back to New Orleans? That was out there. Yeah. Um, and, and look, it, it's a... It's, it's a trickier one because, it, look, it involves someone that, that I've hired, Dennis Allen, and, and we've worked together on two different stints. Um, but I think in the end, uh, for me, it was looking, it was looking really closely at, at, at these teams. And then there was a, you know, there, everyone's waiting to see what happens in Washington. And there, there was some interest from some potential ownership groups that are going to be bidding on, that currently have bid on that team that we're getting ahead of the game saying, wow. hey, you know, if we get awarded this team, would you? And and so there were a lot of different things at play. That's interesting. Right? And, and that's a place that's had great tradition. Like when I came into the league, Adam, my first two years were Philly. Of course, yeah. My next four years were New York so Giants. So you know all about that. And then my next three were the Cowboys. That My whole entire NFL career 
prior to New Orleans was NFC, NFC East. And what happened to that program? Was that one that made you think a little bit? Listen, that place, my uncle loved the Washington franchise. Last year, we go there to play. And I'm pregame, I'm looking up in the crowd. A third of the fans are Saints fans. And I'm like, what happened to this place? Yeah, that was one of the sad. six. That was one of the six pillars. They used to fight for tickets in divorces. I mean, for there's a 50 year wait list ah, to get tickets. It's that sad. Was a, that was a special place. It was. So it'll come back. I hope so. Uh, he wasn't pressed and didn't specify certainly, and I don't think he would have which groups uh, were were interested in him. But we had heard, you know, Rex Ryan went on ESPN and said like, oh, well, watch for Sean Payton in Washington. And then you learn, like, I think Rex Ryan was interviewing uh, with Sean Payton potentially for a D.C. job in Denver. Like, there's mm-hmm. a, there's certainly a relationship there, and you don't have to, you know, be a Sherlock Holmes to figure out how perhaps or why perhaps Rex was saying those things on ESPN a couple months ago. And then because Sean now says it himself out loud, what do you make of that and, and the potential for new ownership to to come in and make changes perhaps more immediately than we thought if if the timeline is by the end of March? And how that could affect, you know, say the OC search. Right. <clears throat> well, I think that um, Sean Payton is a unique, unique candidate in this in this environment. Right. Obviously, he's one of he's the hottest coaching candidate, quite frankly. Right. You know, you don't give up first round draft capital for coaches traditionally and give them big contracts. But he his pedigree, his proximity to being head coach, what he did in New Orleans, I think that all speaks for itself. So if you're a ownership group coming in and you say there's an opportunity to hire Sean Payton, which there was, um, I'm going to explore that. I'm going to kind of kick the tires on that, see if he has a reciprocal interest and see if we can um, get something done. And I think that you know, he is a unique case, right? It's not like every coaching candidate affords you this opportunity to kind of say, we don't really need to interview him. We don't really know what he's bringing. Um, you know what Sean Payton is. You know what he can do. You know what he's done. And you know how he, he's handled that responsibility. Like his resume is outstanding from a coaching standpoint. You look what he did in 2000, I think it was 21, when his last year coaching in New Orleans and what he did with Jamison Winston, what he did with that whole offense. And like the drop off in New Orleans just because he left. And I'm not saying it's entirely because of him, but I think it's a big factor. So um, I would say that I'm glad that the ownership is thinking about that. I'm glad that they're looking at the most kind of the, the, the safest um, head coaching hire um, and, and trying to explore that, trying to get him here. I think that's the right thing. I don't think they're doing that with multiple candidates at the moment. I mean, there might be another guy. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that would even fit that kind of bill um, at the moment. It, you know, he's just such an obvious guy. So that doesn't surprise me. At all. I think the thing that surprised me about the, you know, the clip we just listened to was that um, he seemed to have significant interest in coming here. And I think it's interesting that, you know, when you talk to Ron, like Ron's Ron, people come here because they're a fan of the team. And you can hear the kind of the reverence Sean Payton is using to talk about the, the Washington football team, the commanders. And I think that that's really cool. And I think that, it kind of makes it, it makes me think that this job is more appealing to that kind of older coaching tree than, than um, I initially thought, you know, just hearing kind of him talk about it, hearing and kind of, you know, comparing that with how Ron talks about the organization at the team. And, and it, and for me, who's a, a younger kind of bring into the organization, the organizational culture, like you forget that this place was the place for a very long time. Like this was, this was the team. This was like America's team, quote unquote, and um, I think there's there is a there's a soft spot for a lot of those older coaches. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff was super real in the the late '80s, early '90s, and obviously before that as well. But especially, you know, Gibbs 1.0 in in the three Super Bowls. RFK was as good as it got. You know, it was a dump, but it was our dump kind of thing. And you know, that's before my time as well. Certainly, my time in DC. But you know, the reverence that older fans and and older NFL people have for this place, and it's just been ruined. Like the yeah. ownership here has ruined it, and and yeah. there's a lot of contributing factors and decisions and other people that have have been accomplices to that, uh, all under Dan's uh, ownership. But with him selling, like there's major appeal, and like you know someone like Josh Harris, let's say, who according to multiple reports, first one by the Athletic, toured the facility last week. Mm. Like he is a probably mid fifties, early sixties. I look up how, how old Josh Harris is, but you know, guy who grew up in Chevy chase, 
Like he's he's of that generation who knows what it was like and grew up here. He was born in in 1965, so he's uh, late 50s. Like he he knows he knows what it can be. Like it, there's a reason this has been called a sleeping giant. And and mm-hmm. I think that the idea of being you know for someone like Sean Payton especially the idea of being the guy who saves it, the guy who brings it back right. to that level, who fills FedEx and, you know, whatever stadium is next, is super appealing. Um, I will ask you this, though. If if you're Ron, how ticked are you at Sean Payton Day? Like, dude, shut up. Like, why are you, why are you sharing that in a radio interview about my job? I mean, I don't... I don't know if I'm pissed. Like again, like this is just maybe because you're like a, I'm like a calloused NFL dude. Like I'm operating under the assumption, like if I'm Ron, that they're looking at candidates, specific candidates, not every single candidate. They're not interviewing, you know, a hundred people. But there's, you know, it's it's like this is this is this was my thing. Like when I was playing here, yeah, if like Greg Olson is available for trade and he's going to come here, like I'm going to get cut. And like, like that's just how the NFL. And sure, but isn't works. it different when it's players versus coaches? Like, I know it's still human beings, and you're still like, "Hey, man, that's my job." But if you're a coach under contract, like, I do feel like the culture is a little different around player movement versus coach movement. So in this situation, I don't think so. I don't think because he's taken another job, right? He's taken, you know what I mean. If he's still like, if he's still actively deciding where he's going to go, and he brings that out. Then I'm like, oh, like this is a little bit gnarly because then the fan base gets involved. Then, you know, there's certain people that become decision makers that can get swayed by kind of populist opinion. And so, but the fact that he's made his decision that he's in Denver, that he's not coming here, I think is, um, I, I'm okay with that. Quite frankly, if I'm Ron, I'm like, you know, I, I kind of, I would assume that they would have interviewed him. I, it's cool to hear that they actually did, but I was kind of like, it'd be nice if they could get an interview or kind of entice Sean Payton, because he's the number one coaching candidate. But if I'm Ron, I gotta, I have to like on some level be aware that that's a possibility. You know, See, like, I I don't know that. May, I think we can do that. I, you know, Ron better than I do, but I don't think Ron Rivera sees himself as second to anybody. Like mm-hmm. I don't think. I mean, he certainly respects Bill Belichick, Sean Payton. Like it's it's not like he's like, oh, I'm so much better than those guys. But I think Ron sees himself, he's like, I'm a bona fide NFL head coach. And I, what do you mean you're looking for other people? Like I, this is my team. Uh, and and we are, you know, in his mind, we're on the right track and, you know, all the things that he says. So I, I don't know. I, maybe, but I, I, I would think that Ron is probably not psyched with Sean Payton coming out. One, I would say Sean Payton coming out and saying it, but two, like I would be a little unsettled, um, you know, in that ownership groups and, and I maybe maybe because it's Sean Payton, I go, hey, I, I get it. They're sniffing around. Um, you know, I'd assume they would talk to me first. They can't right now because I work here. You know, Sean Payton was working for Fox. Like you can talk yourself out of it pretty easy. But the fact that ownership groups are sniffing around and like I'm trying to build a team and, you know, we know how much Ron hates distractions. Uh, I, I, I would think that Ron Rivera was, was not super pleased that that stuff came out and that, that it came out because Sean Payton just gave it up in an interview, not even, not even asked about it. Well, I will say that like he, like Ron, like, I don't know this for sure. I haven't talked to Ron about this, but you have to know, you have to know what's going on here. Like just object. I'm a player. I was a former player. Like we're media people. Like you look at the team, you look at the trajectory of the team over the last couple of years and you say they're kind of in the same spot as when he first got here. As as painful as that is, as much as I like Ron, like he has to know that there are people that are kind of stomping the table, you know, leadership, fans, whoever it is that say like we need to make some type of change here. And, you know, right or wrong, you know, people talk about the coaching cycle and how it's three years, all this kind of stuff. But he knows all those guys in there know that they're not ignorant of what this looks like and what this business is so i I, you know as much as people say ron would be mad like if i'm ron like i'm i'm doing some self-reflection this offseason say we need to be better right we need to be better as a team we need to be better on offense need to be better on defense whatever and one of the things about being better is that there is room for for someone else to come take your job and so as much as it is kind of painful and as much as i think ron um believes in himself i think that you know, like you got to be realistic sometimes. And I think this is an opportunity for him to be a little bit realistic. So, um, 
yeah, like Sean Payton was the number one coaching candidate. People gave up a lot of stuff to get they gave him a lot, they gave up a lot of stuff to get him in Denver. So it's 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 not surprising to me that they kicked the tires on Sean Payton here. And I think that that's just good process if you are an ownership group coming in. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, Josh Harris and apparently one other ownership person uh, or ownership group toured the facility last Friday. Um, any, I mean, that's, that's certainly noteworthy, mm-hmm. um, but any, any other big takeaway from that at all? Um, I mean, no, I mean, if I'm buying something, I want to see what it looks like, I guess. <laughs> right? Um, I don't know. I would be interested to see how the ownership, how these investors or these, um, these people that are potentially buying the team ownership groups, uh, view the facilities and view, um, you know, the state of the franchise, uh, because like, I know when I was playing there, like they were pretty adamant about not showing the players, the facility to like after they'd showed them around the community quite a bit. So uh, I wonder, I just wonder how they feel coming in, you know, having not been around a whole bunch of other, other NFL facilities or what their process looks like. It'd be interesting to kind of be in a fly on a wall. Well, someone like Josh Harris is the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey devils. He was pretty involved in the Denver sale and then got beat out at the last second by the Walton family. So I would assume that he has, as the Sixers owner, been to the Eagles facility and certainly knows what the Sixers facility looks like. Right. Uh, as the owner of the Devils, perhaps he's been uh, across the way to the Jets or the Giants facility um, and, and knows what those look like uh, and, and did some due diligence before uh, the Denver stuff. And, and yeah. I don't know whether he toured their facility um, but he certainly has YouTube too. And there's all kinds of facility tours on, uh, for NFL things <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, so I would assume that he probably goes, walks around and is like, man, we got some work to do here. Um, mm. we're going to have to, we're going to have to upgrade. This isn't good enough. This isn't up to the level. I mean, if you've been in the, I've seen some videos and, and seen some, some footage from the Sixers, uh, weight room over the years, like. If, if you're used to that and you see the commanders one and you're like, wait, y'all, y'all train 90 guys out of here mm-hmm. or 50 or 70 or whatever it is during the regular season. Uh, I would assume that he took a look around, took a walk and was like, this is, this is more expensive than I thought because we're going to have to upgrade all this stuff. Well, we'll say that they have upgraded the facility a little bit over the last five years. You know, they have like that recovery room. Definitely. They've got like a lounge for the players now, which wasn't there when I was there. They have, you know, float tanks. They, they, they are kind of moving in that super kind of, you know, in a more modern direction with the stuff. And that, that process started when I was there. So, you know, 15 yeah. years they've been working on it. Um, but yeah, I do think, and also, and, you know, it's important to know like basketball stuff tends to be a little bit nicer. There's less guys. You can get nicer pieces of equipment because you don't need, when you are training 90 guys, you can't buy 50 Kaisers because Kaiser is this very expensive piece of equipment that takes up a lot of space. For the basketball team, you say, oh, we buy five Kaisers because we have 20 guys. We can just cycle them through, right? It The, the, the paradigm for football especially nfl locker rooms or weight rooms compared to other sports is very different but your point is valid like you know the offensive line meeting rooms in the cafeteria like you know that's not a usual thing right well and the other thing is like space (laughs) yeah right yeah that's what i'm saying the limitation that they have here is space as much as anything and i will give dan and whoever else is making the decisions like the credit they have upgraded the facilities massively over the last decade um and i've seen the recovery room and all that kind of stuff but like part of the reason they can't have 20 kaiser fts here is they don't have the space for 20 kaiser fts it'd be their entire right. weight room yeah the bills have that kind of stuff the other teams have that mm-hmm. kind of stuff minnesota's yeah, like got De- like denver insane, does, yeah. yeah denver dallas like if you want to compete Part of it is is building out more space. So whether they sell that land in Ashburn and then ultimately go somewhere else where the new stadium is and kind of do the all-in-one bit like San Francisco and some others mm-hmm. have, uh, or they just build out you know that turf field that has been there forever like that would be also be now we're getting into some real specifics of the ashburn landscape but to try to try to even out some of that terrain and then use some of that other space would be probably a lot uh in terms of the landscaping and, and all that but there there is space available if if you want to get super into the construction yeah, I mean, so you know it, it the, the biggest thing for them is like can they can they literally extend the building uh to create more space and can you do it in a way that's not disruptive during the season as well 
Like that's a huge off season project. And by the way, the off season is also a time when there's a lot of people, actually there's more people in the building. Right. So, um, well, yeah, it's, I was it's just a tricky gonna say, thing. I was just going to say like, you know, when I was in San Fran, like the weight room was like a warehouse, you know, so you could easily yeah. take that football field. Yeah. You know, I don't say easily cause I'm not an architect or, you know, a structure no, but engineer, it seems but like you could, you could just like put a, a yeah. building down there and just be like, Hey, this is our new weight room. And then, the, then the, then that weight room becomes your offensive line meeting room, which would be great. You know what I mean? Just in terms of maximizing space there. So it, there is a, a path to it. It's just about, you know, like it, it is an investment for sure. Right. Uh, well, we know that that turf field that we're talking about, there's this famous, uh, for those that don't know, there's this Astro turf, like literally old school Astro turf field that is down by the other three grass practice fields. And uh, we, we know the concrete's already there uh, because that's what's <laughs> underneath that Astro turf. Um, it is, it hasn't been used in a decade. You never practiced on that field. Did you? I did. I practiced on it. Oh yeah. That was, okay. This is, uh, this is like common knowledge, right? Like, so yeah, we used to do practices in winter on there. Right. And Mike was pretty much like, we need an indoor facility. And yeah. so we used to do like walkthroughs and stuff at the, um, you know, lifetime fitness on the basketball court. And we did a couple walkthroughs and, Dan Snyder's airplane hangar and Mike was pretty much like, we can't do this anymore. And then we would practice on that turf every once in a while. And I was like, I felt, I've never felt so uncomfortable practicing football. Cause I'm like, I'm literally going to tear my ACL if I put it's my foot awful. down too hard on this. Cause it's literally like, like running routes full speed on your carpet with like turf shoes on. It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing it's famous for is lots of deer poop, deer poop. And then this is a gross story, but when I was a, rookie or right before i got there we had like a big rain and casey rybach because that field was, was like flood runoff and he went out and swam on in the in in the oh uh, no in the uh turf uh run uh you know flood runoff so yeah obviously not like the best best piece of equipment in the nfl but fun stories but but a legend nonetheless yes that's right Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. Logan Paulson there. Craig Hoffman here. Wrapping up Super Bowl week uh, with the last of Ron Rivera on Radio Row. And uh, we've reached the Sam Howell portion of the program, Logan. The thing that everyone's been waiting for. Ron kind of built, I think, this comment all week. He talked about, with with a lot of consistency, about you know Sam's going to be our QB1 in the spring want to bring a veteran in but I felt like this was his most clear-cut explanation of where he is on quarterback thanks in part to good questioning from Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk now decisions need to be made moving forward how much of Sam Howell's performance in that final regular season game helps you decide on what the path that the position is for 23 well you know to, to, to answer that Mike the biggest thing we decided is he will start off as QB1 he will most certainly get the first opportunity we go into OTAs and minicamp you know, he'll be QB1. He'll fight for that position. We'll give him every opportunity to earn it, and we'll see what happens once we get into training camp and through it. And just so I understand what that means, because we've got, I think, an unprecedented quarterback musical chairs coming yes. in free agency. You're not in that this year. No. You're out of it. No, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, is, is we have to find a guy to come in that's going to compete, you know, but in terms of finding a guy that you're going to it's going to that you're going to have to spend a lot of capital on no we're not looking for a guy we got to spend a lot of capital on we're looking for a guy who's going to come in and compete first and foremost so exact opposite of last year when you guys called yes. every team literally which yes. was smart let's yep. find out who's available that's not your business this year it's sam Howell with a veteran backup which you'll, you'll find sift the, it out once the, yeah, the the music stops and the starter spots right. are all filled we want to find the right situation a guy that can come in and, and be that supporting guy that can really help him grow and become the guy that gives you an opportunity to win football games. 
So Logan, to me, I think the interesting part of that is not just the clarification on Sam, but to me, the actual giant clarification there is what they're looking for in a backup. And by the way, I don't think what he said eliminates Taylor Heineke at all. It just says we want a guy who understands he's number two on the depth chart and his main job is to make Sam Howe as good of a number one as possible. And then obviously if he needs to play uh, or he just flat out outplays him, uh, then then we can have a different discussion. Yeah, I think that that is um, I mean, that's something we kind of expected. I think, you know, that just feels like good process at this point. Obviously, if there's like a situation where. I can't even think of like an example like this is just so outlandish, but let's say Derek Carr wants $25 million a year, you know, like the market's not there for him. He's got to take $25 million a year. I think he kicked the tires on that. I think obviously like there are certain situations where you say, this is a better opportunity. This gives us a better opportunity to win football games. But I, I understand what he's saying. And it's something that I think we both kind of believe in, you know, it's something we both have been advocating for. It's like, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of other things on the roster that need to be fleshed out when you invest a lot of money in the quarterback position, it limits your ability to do that. I think <clears throat> I haven't talked to Ron about this. This is just kind of my speculative thoughts. I do think that the roster last year they thought was a little bit farther ahead of where it was. This not making a big move at quarterback gives you an opportunity to, um, you know, build the roster out more, build it around a, a young, uh, financially sustainable quarterback. And so I, this all makes sense to me. I think, you know, while people say, oh, this is this is good, like that finding that backup guy, whether it's Taylor, whether it's Jacoby Brissett, like that becomes a huge part of this offseason process. So it's not like they're not looking for a quarterback. You need to make sure you find the right guy that can win you games, that can push him. Like I think that's the most important thing. Like don't be content with someone who's going to just be the backup. Because you are kind of mortgaging the success of this franchise on 19 throws, right? So – can you get a, a high-end backup, low-end starter that can like, – I just think Jacoby Brissett this last year is the perfect example of what you're looking for. Get him yeah. in here. Make him put – push him to a higher level, right? If you bring in a guy who's just the automatic number two, like I don't know if that's the best vibe. You want someone that's going to kind of light a fire under him, push him, mentor. But if things don't go well, if he doesn't develop this offseason, it gives you an opportunity to be like, all right, we got – Jacoby here we got Taylor here they can play the first five six games of the season and then Sam can come in when he's a little bit more ready or whatever it is I'm not even sure what that looks like but I do think that that's an important thing to understand about his comments it's not saying we're not going to bring in a quarterback it's we got to make sure we got the right one to kind of fit our goals moving forward definitely so I've got real quick uh this list and we can go through this list more in depth in a future podcast but this is the list of free agent quarterbacks. I've got it sorted currently by number of snaps. Um, okay. Brady obviously retired. Jones is going to resign. Geno Smith is going to resign. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, Lamar Jackson, uh, who who knows what's going to happen in Baltimore, but likely is it there at least for another year on the franchise tag. Like that's an interesting one. Just real quick, like if Lamar Jackson becomes available and the numbers works for you like that's someone I, I bet you that they would that you're going to ask about him you know yeah, even though you're saying right recklessly now, you're, irresponsible yeah, right not to. so like just to make sure that's perfectly clear okay go ahead sorry uh Dalton Garoppolo Heineke Baker Mayfield Cooper Rush Sam Darnold Mike White Tyler Huntley PJ Walker Joe Flacco Brett Rippon Gardner Minshew Teddy Bridgewater Trace McSorley Kyle Allen John Wolford Jeff Driscoll Bryce Perkins Jared Stidham C.J. Beathard, uh, Case Keenum, Nick Mullins, Chase Daniel. Uh, then you got a bunch of – like Chad Henney is also a free agent. Yeah. He is, he's, he's always Mahomes' backup. Uh, you know, Nate Sudfeld is available again. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other name I'll mention uh, from like a high upside interesting standpoint is Drew Locke, um, who's a free oh, right. agent from mm -hmm. Seattle. But he seems like the wrong – like if you want a, ba a QB battle, you bring in Drew Locke. If you don't – then you bring in Jacoby Brissett. Like Andy Dalton's an interesting name on there. You want a guy who's got some experience, who's been in a couple different offenses, who understands how to bring a young guy along. You know, you saw that a little bit with Andy Dalton last year when before the season when Jameis was named the starter. Like kind of having that other set of eyes, kind of the coach on the field. Like that's what I'm looking for in this position. Obviously, Drew Locke, if those other guys sign other places or they're too expensive, Drew Locke is a fine guy to bring in. You know, he's a little bit developmental. He's been around a little bit. You get the pushing factor, you get the motivation factor of a Drew Lock, but 
Um, I also think that, uh, you know, like I'd prefer someone with a little bit more experience again for the, for the mentorship stuff. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, another guy that for some reason is not showing up on this list, but is a guy that I'm, I've mentioned a couple of times, I think is super interesting is David Blau, um, who was in Detroit you to and start David last Blau. year. It's a, it's a hard knocks thing, man. He was awesome in hard knocks and he was in, he was in hard knocks preseason with Detroit. He was hard knocks in season in Arizona, mm. but he played all right for Arizona when, when right. he got there, um, and, and took over for Trace McSorley. But like, he is your classic backup. He is, he is a Logan Paulson type of player. Just not the most physically gifted, but also not physically ungifted, right. but incredibly smart. Like a classic backup quarterback who you're not dead with if he has to play, but is super duper smart, is great in the meeting rooms. And he's, he's a 27 and he's been in multiple offenses. Like he's been in multiple offenses in Detroit. Um, the Anthony Lynn version, he, he was there uh, obviously through training camp this year with, uh, uh, with Ben Johnson. Uh, that's, that's the OC in Detroit, right? I think I have that right. Is that right? Um, yeah, that, that the Eagles right. QB coach? I can't remember. I always get those two guys mixed, mixed up. Anyway, Johnson, yeah. uh, you, got, you got that in Detroit. He then uh, went to Minnesota and was in their system for a while under Kevin. And then he was with Cliff in, in Arizona. And that's just in the last 12 months. Yeah. So this is a guy that's been uh, around a little bit. But like that's another kind of guy that's not going to cost you anything and saves you a ton of money versus like Brissette might cost you eight, nine million dollars. It's true. So I think I think that is another factor. And, you know, I don't know how many other David Blouse there are in the league, but that level of guy is, is also kind of intriguing. I think the one thing that is concerning about David Blau is you wonder about his ability to win football games consistently right. like when you look at him in it was arizona this year yeah like you see like the the pretty drastic limitations of the arm talent there are some factors there that i think are that, that would make me you got you need someone with a little bit more juice. well you get what you pay for yes 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 that's absolutely right so i do think like i'm looking for one of those top end top end backup I like low end starter like i know we say that term a lot but that's what that's what this position requires because Let's say it doesn't go. And again, like I think Sam did an excellent job. I think you talk to the guys in the building, they, they you know, they're they're very adamant about his development and what he's been doing, his work ethic, all those different things, right? But it might not work the way you want it to. So what is your contingency plan? You need to make sure you got some pretty good scaffolding in place so that this doesn't totally come back and nip you in the butt if things aren't going well. All right. Monday, February thirteenth at nine fifteen AM. Give me your top three want list for guys to back up how. Want list to back up Howell, Jacoby Brissett, yep. Taylor Heineke, and I don't know if any any Dalton will probably be a starter, but if he's a guy that's available, that 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 type of guy is. What I I'm think I think he's he's eligible for this list. Like he's thirty five years old and made three million dollars yeah. last year. Yeah, like that. Those are that's the type of guy I'm looking for. Come in, you can obviously he played really well last year. Win some games. Do what you got to do. I think that's really important. I think that's I think that's the correct list. Those guys have been around. They, they provide some stability. Like if you wanted to do the upside play, guys like Locke and Mike White, uh, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. who played really well for the Jets. Like, yeah, those guys have done or are, are, are very intriguing from talent uh, or in White's case, production standpoints. But but that's not really what you're looking for, and that's why I appreciated that that comment from Rivera. Uh, yeah. Again, thanks to Pro Football Talk for uh, that interview. All right. We are back on Thursday, Wednesday. If you uh, subscribe on YouTube, typically we're able to get the YouTube video up the night of. We save the audio for the next morning, your drive to work or wherever it is uh, or wherever it fits in your morning routine. Uh, thanks so much for watching or listening, and we will see you next time on Take Command.